One of the, uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed about uh, my wife and I's travels and having lived in Texas and then Atlanta and Milwaukee and now here in Jackson is that you get to visit a lot of churches on the way and see what life is like in different communities. And if you've seen a Baptist church, you've seen a Baptist church because you never know what you're going to get when you show up in one of those churches. And so it's, it's always an interesting kind of intimidating feeling when you walk into a church space for the first time or, or you've been gone for a long time and you don't know what's going to be on the other side of those doors. I, I asked recently on my Facebook, it's been several months ago, but I asked people, uh, what's something you've experienced while visiting a church that caused you to never visit again? And there was all sorts of interesting answers. Um, some, some pretty awful things and some kind of minute little things. But the overwhelming answer that got repeated again and again was that nobody talked to me. Nobody was aware I was there. Nobody made me feel like I was welcome. And it, it's interesting, my own experience of how that has been. Uh, I, I remember Beth and I visited a church, no more than 30 people in attendance. And so everybody knows everybody. And yet they did what they thought was, was super welcoming. And they asked, if you're new here and you're a visitor, would you please stand up and introduce yourselves? Well, that is a way to single out your visitors. Now, if you're an introvert, that's the worst thing you could ever hear. And you're wondering, like, don't you know I'm new? Like, there's not that many people here. You know I'm new. You don't need to call me out. Um, but one particular time really stood out. We were leaving a church, and we were about to exit the doors, and someone, like, stopped us. And they said, visitors have to sign that guest book. And then they, she apologized and said, our pastor's not here. Sorry, he normally does this. So we, we don't know how to welcome you. We can't welcome you because uh, that's the pastor's job. And well, he's not here. So I'm sorry, but just sign that book, please. And so here you are. Uh, we actually gave real information, but you could imagine people putting fake information down, thinking I'm never coming back here again. And, and the, the strange thing is, though, I have yet to meet a church that didn't call themselves the friendly church. That's, that's a universal statement. Uh, we're the friendly church. And part of that is, if you've gone to a church long enough, your friends are there. So it's the friendly church because it's the church where your friends are. Um, but people don't often think about, well, how welcoming and how hospitable are we as a community? And it sometimes can be hard to gauge that. And so I, wa I wanted us to look at it. Well, what is it to be a friendly church in the sense of hospitality? How what does generous hospitality even look like? And so what I want to do is, for the next two weeks, we're going to look at the parable that's called the parable of the prodigal son by many people. That might be a little unfair of a title because there are three characters in the story, that son who returns, that father, and the older brother. Uh, but, but that's how people know it, by that prodigal son title. And we're going to actually look at it differently. We're not going to look at it from the point of view of the prodigal son. We're going to look at it today from the point of view of the father, and next week we're going to look at it from the point of view of the brother. So I think we're all quick to want to identify with, well, I could have made any life decision and made any sort of mistake, but thank goodness I have a welcoming space with God, um, and that's an important, really meaningful message, but I'm wanting to look at what does hospitality look like from the point of view of the father and from the brother. So uh, with that, 
Uh, I'm going to suggest five character traits that I see in this father uh, that demonstrate generous hospitality. The first one is uh, generous hospitality is open-handed. The father is incredibly generous throughout the story, uh, both in the bizarre request of the son. The son comes up to him and says, uh, I want my inheritance now. I know you're not dead yet, but I want my stuff. And I'm not, I'm not going to wait around any longer. Just give me my things and let me be gone. And surprisingly, he actually does that. He gives him his, his share of his inheritance. We find out later in the story that even that father's servants never go hungry and that they even have a, um, more than they could even eat. And they have some to share and some to, to, uh, to give out to others. Uh, and when we get to the end of the story, he's incredibly generous again because he had already given the son his whole share of inheritance and yet he comes home and he gives him more stuff. Well, where's that stuff coming from? He already got all of his possessions. So he's a really open-handed, generous father. And I think that's a powerful image because we often aren't open-handed in our giving. Uh, we, we think giving is just enough. If I give, that's already um, all that I need to do. But how often have you seen closed-handed giving? Uh, maybe a parent who said, okay, I'll pay for you to go to college, but you better get the degree that I want you to get. How dare you, uh, for ministry students, how dare you study ministry? You're never going to make any money in that. If I'm going to pay all this money, you better get a job that's going to make a lot of money. Uh, how often do you see someone that wants to donate to a church or a nonprofit, and then they want to control what they do with that money? Uh, I gave it to you, but you better make sure to pick the things that I want you to do with it. Maybe you, you, you give a projector, a table, a chair, whatever kind of thing that you give, and then you want to control how that gets used from then on. That, well, here's how we should use it. Uh, God forbid that at some point when it's old and no longer useful that we get rid of it. I gave that thing all that time ago. Um, and so we like to give with strings attached and still kind of holding on a little bit of the control of it. And what's powerful about this father is he doesn't control his son. Now the son takes that responsibility and, and chooses poorly. But the father isn't on the side saying, I'm going to make every life decision for that son. He gives it out and lets the son make his own decisions. And, uh, you know, I wonder, as a church, one of our biggest possessions is our facility and our resources here. And we have this danger of, well, what, what if we, on the one hand, let people use it and things happen that, that harm the building or that, that wear the building down? And on the other hand, what if it becomes a museum where we don't touch anything and we don't ever use it and we keep it as pristine as possible? And so we're constantly in that kind of that tension. And I know that, that that I'm sure has come up in the past when it was uh, the downtown group, the Alcoholics Anonymous group using a facility or maybe personal care. And people start wondering, well, well, what are those outsiders going to do with our building and our space? Can we trust them? Uh, and so maybe we are trying to give this space, but maybe we still try to be a little bit more closed-handed with it. Um, and so I, I want to suggest that uh, the way we should think about our possessions and our things is this. We would rather our possessions wear down with use than with time. 
Because all the stuff that we have eventually won't, won't be in the condition it's in. It's just a matter of time. Things wear down. Uh, paint colors go out of style. Uh, technology goes out of you know, use in a year. Uh, we can't just sit on things because they'll be obsolete just by sitting. So we can choose to let things wear down because they're actually being used and being valuable and meaningful transition, trans, uh, uh, transformation of people's lives. Or we can just let them sit in the corner, keep them with closed hands and control, and not allow them to be a resource and an opportunity for people. Uh, I want to mention uh, one, one particular instance in which I'll celebrate someone today. Uh, I was at personal care ministry last month, and I enjoyed that, you know, we're really just the hosts and we're the greeters of personal care. And they were coming through on Thursday night, and, uh, you know, I've tried to, to give them some trivia questions and some fun conversation pieces as they're coming in. And I really appreciated that uh, one night when uh, Shirley Sales was our, our greeter, she had a little bag of lollipops. And she said that she came and she brought the lollipops to give to kids that came through. And then when she saw the people coming out, she realized, I just want to give them to everybody. And so every single person that came through the line, here, have a lollipop. And uh, we need more of just releasing things out and being generous with open hands instead of con controlling. And so generous hospitality is about what I can give and not what I can get. So we have to keep our minds on what we can give instead of what we get back from the situation. So to be a church with generous hospitality is to be a church with open-handed giving. The second trait that I want to talk about is generous hospitality is observant, keeps its eyes open. Uh, if you can imagine, uh, even just within our walls, if people came in here and we didn't notice them, like people were talking about on my Facebook page, uh, and we just didn't give them the time of the day, that's incredibly um, discouraging to someone who's looking for connection with God and with other people. To not connect is, is very painful. And we have to be observant not only in this space, and you have to realize how our space connects to people or doesn't connect to people. Um, when people walk in the door, they're making a judgment about whether I fit in within a few minutes. And they make that based on the people that greet them. They make that based on uh, what decade they feel like they're walking into, based on color choice and picture choice and all sorts of interesting decisions. Um, and so people are observant, and we need to be observant of them. I think we need to be observant, though, beyond just this church space. Who do you see in everyday life? The neighbor, the friend, the family member, uh, the person at the restaurant you're at. Where do you see God at work in somebody's life? Where do you see somebody who might be like that prodigal son, who life is just kind of on fumes? and that they need someone to be welcoming to them. They need someone to be hospitable, to be loving, to be caring, and offer that generous hospitality even when we're outside of these walls. And so, um, you know, I want to stress, for the visitor who comes in, like the temptation is, I like seeing my friends here, so I want to hang out with my friends while I'm here. But if a guest comes in and they don't feel like they're, they're noticed, they are somebody else's prodigal child. Like, somebody else deeply cares about them and loves them and wishes that they would find connection with God, and we need to cherish them like they are our own children. So, uh, wherever that person is, we need to notice them. 
whether inside our walls or outside. And that's what I really appreciate about this father, is he's not so stuck looking inside at his own daily life situation, uh, but he's looking outside the property, and so he sees his son coming at a distance. And so if we're only looking for who we can be hospitable to in our own walls, we're going to miss out on those people on the outside, on the people in our neighborhood. So how can we help uh, extend comfort to those that we might be missing and those who we aren't seeing yet? So I hope that we're a watchful church, and I think that's a generous hospitality. A generous hospitality is also compassionate. It says in this text that when the father looks out and he sees his son at a distance, he looks with compassion, not with judgment. And I think we kind of take that for granted because we're so used to hearing the story that we know it has that kind of nice, fluffy, happy resolution to that part of the story. But our, our biblical tradition doesn't always have such happy versions of this. Uh, we're going to have plenty of time to talk about what to do with really challenging, difficult texts. Uh, that's one of my things I enjoy doing, is what do you, what do, you do with things that, that, are, that are not easy. Well, Deuteronomy 21 is one of those not easy texts, and it prescribes what parents should do to rebellious children. Uh, instead of reading it in length, it recommends that the parents take the rebellious child, bring them into the middle of the city square at the gate where it's kind of public uh, court space, pronounce that they're a rebellious child who won't listen to their parents, and then the elders of the city take stones and stone the child to death. When people talk about, oh, the Bible's easy, it's simple, just take it, apply it. Uh, hopefully you don't do that with this text, uh, simply. Um, but what's wonderful about our Christian message is compassion and not just judgment. Uh, that father had every right to be upset with his son for squandering all of those possessions, for treating him like he should just go ahead and die. And yet when he sees his son coming back, he's filled with compassion. And too often we haven't made that same decision, that we look judgmentally um, based on all sorts of things, that person's identity, uh, what they're wearing, uh, other kinds of affiliations. And so how do we look at everyone that we see with compassion instead of judgment? I wanted to point out, um, I'm not going to use the person's name because I don't think it's, it's helpful, but there was a prominent evangelical pastor in the 1900s who loved to criticize what's called the social gospel. And the social gospel is the idea that our Christian faith is about more than just a personal commitment, like more than just kind of a belief statement, but that that should also affect how society looks, that you should uh, care for those in need, that you should uh, give food to the hungry and things like that. And so that your faith has a social dynamic and it's not just a private experience that isn't connected to anybody else, um, but you're called into a faith that brings about justice and faith and goodness to all people. And so here's what uh, that prominent evangelical uh, voice said. If they had a social gospel in the days of the prodigal son, somebody would have given him a bed and a sandwich and he would have never gone home. Uh, my response would be, if that had happened in the story, if we're playing the hypothetical, and that son had squandered everything and was living uh, in a desolate situation, 
If somebody came and gave him food and gave him a home and gave him a robe or a ring like we see at the end of the story, then home would have come to him. And that, that's what we do when we help feed people, when we help give hygiene products and whatever it is that we, we give to people, is we're extending that hospitality outward. Not because it's just a nice thing to do, but because that's truly who we are as a Christian people. Uh, I don't give to people because they're Christian. I don't ask them, are you a Christian, before I hand them food. I give to people because I am a Christian. And my faith that I've felt the embrace and the love and the shared uh, experience of God just overflows and is given over to other people. And so to be a church with generous hospitality is to see and treat our neighbors with compassion and not judgment. A fourth characteristic of generous hospitality is that generous hospitality is mobile. It's on the move. One of the things that I love about the story is that when the father sees the son, he doesn't wait around on him, but he sprints out to him. He's running to see his son. And that's not a dignified thing for a noble person to do in that ancient context. The older uh, gentleman should probably be reserved. Uh, there's, there's some funny commentary of why a nobleman shouldn't run. Some thought it would show their legs off. Oh, no. Um, but, but he runs unabashedly to the sun. And so we have to be a mobile, welcoming community. That means that we can't just only wait to be hospitable to people who show up in our doors, but we have to be a welcoming presence beyond these walls. And we need to run to where people are and where they're in the midst of those challenges and those struggles. Maybe they've started to take some steps towards God, but, but can't quite get in the door. And one of the things that I appreciate about our community is that we do have multiple service opportunities. And so some people might not feel welcome uh, in an afternoon, more contemporary service. Some people might not feel as welcome in the traditional morning service. But we're extending out an offer of maybe this might uh, be an easier, less obstacle-ridden um, spiritual journey for you. And the father doesn't run to the sun only because it's just Sunday morning. Think if it was a Tuesday afternoon or a Thursday morning or whenever it is. He'd be willing to run out to see his son. And we have to be able to figure out how we can be a welcoming community uh, beyond just our walls and beyond just our service times. And in today's age, that also means being a welcoming community socially online. Maybe you can be a light by not posting constant judgment uh, and, and anger and vitriol on social media. Uh, if you've been on Facebook walls, you've you're bound to have seen some pretty angry, um, judgmental things. So maybe you can be a welcoming presence online and not just in person. But a generous hospitality is a, is a hospitality that's mobile. It doesn't just wait for people to come to you. Lastly, I want to talk about generous hospitality. The fifth trait is it's celebratory. There's a reason to party in the story. That father looks out at his son and he says, uh, that the one who is dead is alive, the one who is lost is found. And sometimes we can kind of treat our faith as only a reverential tone, only just kind of awe in a certain kind of tone. Uh, but there's also a party, and there's a celebration, and that's why the Pharisees and scribes are mad at Jesus at the beginning of the story. Like, how dare you spend time with these tax collectors and sinners? 
Uh, they talk about how, how they ate or how they drank, and uh, that's not how a good person should act. But Jesus tells this story about a father who, when he gets to experience what it is for a lost person to come home, throws a party. And it's not a party of leftovers or recycled party favors. Uh, let's go get the new stuff. Let's go get the best things we have because it's time to party. Now, uh, I know that there are some funerals that are celebratory, that they're parties of look at this person's wonderful, long life in which they uh, touched so many people. But I don't want funerals to be our only kind of parties to throw as a group. I want us to have parties about new life, uh, births, baptisms, weddings. And I don't know about you, but like, that excites us. That, that gets us going. That gets us passionate again. And, and to be able to have those parties, we have to be able to be hospitable, to be welcoming beyond our walls, and to celebrate others, because that's, we'll talk a lot more about that next week, but we have to be able to celebrate others and not just ourselves, and so um, to practice generous hospitality, we have to prioritize being a compassionate space where prodigal children of all types can find connection and meeting in God, and when that happens, we're throwing a cookout. So in a little bit, we're about to have a celebratory meal. It's not always taken in celebration tone, um, but we're going to take communion, and that's uh, an important symbol of our faith. I kind of, I love kind of laughing at, uh, in a lot of churches I grew up in, they were really big about saying uh, nothing happens while you have this. It's just a symbol and just about uh, reenacting something, unless you take it poorly. If you have bad stuff going on in your life and you take it, you're going to get judged and you're going to die. <laughs> um, so you can, it can never help you, it can only hurt you in, in some of the communities that I've, I've seen over the years. But this is a celebration because we're celebrating that no matter what kind of things divide us, and there are tons of things that divide us. Just watch the news. You'll hear all sorts of them. No matter uh, where you call home, we got all of our flags up today. Uh, whether home is Michigan or Mexico, this meal unites us. And our faith brings together people uh, that don't normally associate with each other, that don't always find reason for unity. And so it's a meal celebrating that each of us uh, has had moments in life where we were lost and where we found meaning, where we found love, where we found compassion. Um, and so I hope that when we take this meal, we'll be reminded of the fact that life has been uh, transformative for us and that we want nothing more than to be able to share that with others and that we want others to be able to join us in that celebration meal. So I hope we can be a generously hospitable church where we give instead of thinking about what we can get back, where we, we give because we live out that conviction that with God there's enough. We're not dealing with scarcity uh, but there's always enough if we share, and that we can trust that our connection and love for each other inspires more giving, not so that we can receive when there's more giving, but so that all people can receive through more giving. So I pray that our church can be a place of that generous hospitality where we can give with open hands, watching for connections outside of our walls, moved by compassion and not judgment, 
running to welcome and celebrate new life wherever we find it. Would you pray with me? Lord, uh, we come together as a community praying that you would open our hearts, you would open our eyes, you would open uh, us up to be able to run, to move, wherever you call us, Lord. Uh, There are people who need another chance. There are people who need life. There are people who need purpose. And Lord, I want us to be a place, we want us to be a place that can embrace them warmly and generously. Lord, uh, just help us to be aware of how much we have received so that we can also feel that urge and that passion and that love to give and also in return. Lord, be with us as we continue in our service. Be with us as we take this meal in a minute uh, and just open our hearts and our minds. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.